Good morning. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5. And as you turn there, I just want to give you some, some heads up. Over the next uh, seven weeks after today, we will start a series called I Am, walking through the seven statements that Jesus makes declaring who He is. And we will close that on Easter Sunday with Jesus saying that He is the resurrection and the life. And so I want to encourage you to start praying about uh, being a part of those services. And I want to encourage you to pray about bringing somebody to those services. One of the things I remember from my growing up days uh, playing high school football and even being a manager for the team when I was in elementary school is our high school locker room had around the rim these little statements. Around the top, right next to the ceiling, these little statements. Uh, 11 plus 1, which meant our team plus God. And then we had 110%, which doesn't make any sense to me because you can't give more than 100%. Physically, you just can't. And then we had there's no I in team. But there was a guy who took a Sharpie marker and wrote around the parentheses, but there isn't me. Some of you will catch that later. And then there was another one that said, too much is given, much is required. We had all these little statements around our field house. And it eventually got kind of confusing because each year the team was supposed to set down what the, what the theme was. The seniors would get together and we'd go, okay, this is what our theme is going to be this year. And every year it was something different. And eventually it got to the point where there was like you having to erase old mottos for the year to replace them with somebody else's. And ultimately, should the, should the goal of every team not be just to win, right? Anybody ever been on a team and like the season started, you're like, hey guys, the goal this year is to lose all the games. I mean, yes, the New York Jets are still around, but that's a different story. But the reality is that that's the, that's the kind of uh, thing we would do. We would come up with these mottos, and it got eventually to the point where it's like, what are we doing? What is our focus? What is our mission? Just to make a really cool T-shirt or put a sign on the wall that focuses on this year's goal? Look, if the goal's not to win every year, then you probably shouldn't play. See, what drives us is our goal. What drives us in life is our passion. And the question for most of us today is, how far are we willing to go to get to that goal? And that's what we're going to look at today. I want to invite you to stand as we read the word of the Lord together, starting in Luke chapter 5. The word of the Lord reads this way. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof 
and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise Pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Father God, we pray, God, that as we read this word, that we would cling to that last statement that we could see extraordinary things today. God, that, that today could be the day of salvation, that today could be the day of healing, that today could be the day that you take someone from death to life. God, we pray today would be that day. And Father, we pray that you would use us as instruments to have those things happen. Father, today we pray that your word would not only encourage us, but God, that it would challenge us to be more than just comfortable, be more, more than just satisfied, but to be passionate. Father, we thank you for your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said together, amen. As you're taking your seat this morning, I, I tell you, it's, it's absolutely perfect that we sing a song that says, we don't care if anybody remembers our names. Because <laughs> you know what? The people that we're going to talk about today in this passage, the only name that is ever mentioned is the name Jesus. What we see in this picture is this group that has decided that they have a goal, and we're going to get to that goal here in a moment, but what I, I see in this passage before we even get diving into some things is that sometimes we get lost on what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes the church has forgotten what it's here for. I can speak from experience of serving in all over the Bible Belt. I've served from buckle to your name printed on the back belt. Do y'all have those in Iowa? That must be a southern thing. I understand what it's like to be a part of a church that almost turns into a country club. Where you feel like you're just paying your dues to be a part of an exclusive group. I know what it's like to be part of a church where they say this statement and it almost makes, made my blood boil then as bad as it does now when they say, you know what, we've got too many people in our church. I think today we've really forgotten what church is for and what the gospel is about. We've forgotten the part we play in that message. 
Just for an example, how many of you love music? I just love music. You get in the car, you turn the radio on. You can put your hand down, Georgia, thank you. <clears throat> you get in the car, you turn it on, and it's just, you've got it going, and it's so loud that the people next to you can hear your car vibrating. Get it, are there any of you those people? I'm, some of you are like, no, never. <clears throat> you're the person that pulls up to the red light, and what your favorite song has come on, and you're just singing at the top of your lungs. You look to the left, the person looking at you is going. You're, you're those people, right? If you're, if you're not those people, you know those people. The people that go to the concerts, and we still, those things aren't, aren't happening yet, are they? Concerts. But you remember concerts, right? Y'all remember those things? You went to those concerts and you would hoop and holler and shout and you'd get so excited. And you'd, I remember watching videos of people at Michael Jackson concerts. Children, look up Michael Jackson. You don't know who he is? He's bad. Some of you will catch that later too. People passing out at his concerts. Y'all remember those videos? People passing out at concerts. You download the music onto your iTunes, you listen to it on Spotify, you, you, you do all you can to listen to this music. Man, you are just a great fan, but you don't know how to play and you don't know how to sing. See, I think some people become great fans of the gospel. Some people become great fans of church, but they never participate in the actual mission of the church. I guess it's important for us to ask this question. What is the mission of the church? I'm so glad you asked that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. See, I don't think anybody in the church today would say this. I don't think anybody in this building or watching online or that are going to watch this years from now would say, I don't like it when people come to Jesus. If you do say that, I want to go ahead and invite you. There's a special place for you. There's two doors back there. If you don't like people coming to Jesus, you can exit those. Because that's what we're going to be about. People coming to know Jesus. See, this is what's happening. Is These people are passionate about getting this done. And here's what you say. Nobody would ever say, no, lost people aren't welcome here. If lost people weren't welcome here, you could have never walked through the door. See, our actions... Don't often always back up our words, though. Oh, anybody can come to Jesus. Oh, I want people to know Jesus. Oh, anybody's welcome. But are our words backing up our actions as well? See, if you read the New Testament, one of the things you'll see about Jesus is Jesus goes from place to place to place. Jesus doesn't sit still very long. He doesn't even have a place to lay his head, he tells us, that the foxes have holes to lay their head. He didn't even have that place. But here's what's funny is Jesus, whenever he shows up, a crowd shows up. It doesn't matter where Jesus goes, a crowd shows up. Just remember the feeding of the 5,000. He just goes on the side of a hill and says, we'll start talking about the kingdom. At least 5,000 men show up. That doesn't include the women and children. We're probably looking at a total of 15,000 people listening to Jesus on a hillside, and we complain if the sound system goes out. <laughs> Just think for a moment what it's like that everywhere he would go, and here's what would happen. People would follow him, and they didn't even agree with him. 
The Pharisees would show up. The Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they would show up waiting to trip him up, waiting to, to make it harder. Because they lived by legalism. They lived by law. And Jesus says, I'm going to show you the best way. And then he says this crazy phrase that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, I am the way. See, as we begin to unravel this idea today that Jesus is starting to get the message across, he says, listen, I've got a better way, and you can be a part of that way. I just want you to imagine for a moment, here's something you may not know about teachers in that day. Teachers in that day did not do as we do today, where I stand and walk around like a crazy monkey. Teachers in those days... Sat. Can everybody see me? Excellent. So I'm going to sit here for just a second. And Jesus is sitting there and he's teaching them. He's telling them all about the kingdom. He's telling them how the kingdom is not like this world, how, how blessed are the, are the peacemakers and how blessed are the, the humble. And he's, he's telling them, love your enemies. He's, he's giving them all these beautiful messages of the kingdom. And can you imagine he's sitting there and he's teaching this massive crowd that has filled this home. And I can imagine there are people sitting outside the house just listening through the windows. And he's sitting there teaching and all of a sudden dust begins to fall on his head. And chunks of ceiling begin to fall. Can you imagine the reaction of the room? Can you imagine the disciples? I can hear it now. Oh, bold Peter. What idiot is doing this? Don't they know who Jesus is? I can see Judas going, going to have to pay for the roof to get fixed. Here's Jesus, and he's just teaching, and the roof is coming in. He's caving in. I just want to give you a warning. The last time I preached this text, I got a message from Rachel. Hey, Wade, the roof's caving in in the bathroom. So please don't happen today. But here he is. He's teaching, and dust is falling, and, and, and twigs and mud are falling from the ceiling. And all of a sudden, this man is lowered down on this rug, this sleep rug. And can you imagine the disruption that caused in the message for everybody else? But can I tell you, this message is not about everybody else. This message is about what was happening at that moment. This story is a story I know that you've heard. But the story of these men, these, these friends who are unnamed, who are bringing their friend to Jesus. What would lead them to a place of tearing the roof off? What would lead them to a place of being willing to do what is going to get them the stink eye? You know that look, right? Husbands, have you seen it before? Children, I hope you've seen it before. What would put them to this place? I'm so glad that you asked that question. The first thing. The first thing we get out of this passage today is these men were on a mission. Number one, these men were on a mission. See, these group, this group of friends, they, were, they weren't just roof demolitionists. 
If you've ever watched that show uh, with Chip and Joanne where they go in and Chip says, my favorite day is demo day. This is not what's going on. These guys had a mission, they had a goal, and they said no matter what, we will accomplish our task. As the Blues Brothers would say, they were on a mission from God. They had a purpose. See, passion is what drives you in life. It drives us as individuals, does it not? It drives our culture. This passion and this mission we take on, it shapes everything you do. I have this real bad problem. When I commit to something, I overcommit to it. Several years ago, I decided that I was going to, to lose weight. It was a little over eight years ago because Caleb is eight. And Rachel was pregnant. Mental note, guys, don't go on a diet when your wife's pregnant. <laughs> and I went on a diet. It changed everything. I was exercising three times a day. I was eating about 1,000 calories a day. Uh, I was drinking four or five gallons of water a day. And I lost 90 pounds in six months. 90 pounds in six months. People coming to me say, Pastor, are you sick? Are you, are, are you not telling us that you have something going on? Uh, and, and the reality was uh, I, I gained it all back, if you couldn't tell. A few, few weeks ago, I decided I was going to start dieting again, that I needed to get into shape. I'm going to the gym, uh, working out, and, I, and I'm changing what I'm eating. And let's just ask the family over here, hey, are we eating a lot different foods at home than we were eating before? To the point where it's annoying? Yep. Because I have a tendency to overdo things. But when I've got a mission, nothing is going to stop me. I don't care if it's Valentine's Day or not. Where's Talia? Talia gave me a piece of candy. That would be the only piece of candy I eat today. Because I'm going to be committed to my goal. I'm going to face this fight head on. Now, I'm not going to say I'm not going to eat a real big steak for supper. But I'm going to face my goals and I'm going to run head first into them. Companies do the same thing. They develop mission statements, right? They develop these mission statements to keep them focused on what's next, to help them stay the course, to help them do what they've come to do. I want to give you real quickly just a couple of mission statements by some real popular companies. Walmart, we save people money so they can live better. You know that was Walmart's mission statement? I thought it was take all Wade's money. But the idea from Walmart is save people money so they can live better. They're always dropping prices, lowest prices around. Every commercial you see is about low, low prices. Why? Because they want to save you money so you can spend more money there. Coca-Cola, this is their mission statement, to refresh the world. To inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value, and to make a difference. They could have just said, to make you not thirsty. But that's Coca-Cola's mission statement. One that is quickly losing its focus, Facebook. To give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. 
What do you think about that? You can save your comments for the comment section on the sermon. Did you know that we have a mission statement here at Grandview? Do you know what it is? I'm hearing, yep. Does anybody know what it is? Just checking. Those of you online, don't cheat and look it up. Oh, see, it's in the bulletin. The mission statement of the church is we exist to invest Jesus' love in you for the sake of others. That that's the goal of this church, to invest the love of Jesus in your life so you can invest it in other people's lives. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to ask you to take it rhetorically and internalize it, please. Are we accomplishing that mission statement. Again, please do not answer that out loud. But internalize it. See, that's what drives us as a church. To invest the love of God into other people. To invest the love of God into your life so you can put it into other people's lives. Because here's the reality. There's just one pastor. There's just so many elders that we can't invest love in everybody's life. That you are the extension of the gospel. That If we just rely on the staff to share the gospel, then can I tell you the quad cities are going to have a hard time coming to Christ. Because there's only so many of us. That's one of the fun things about being a pastor is that everybody knows your name, but yet you have to struggle for several months to get everybody else's names down pat because there's just one of me. And the last time I looked, none of you looked like this. I praise the Lord for that. But the reality is that what drives us as a church is supposed to be that we exist to invest Christ in other people. The question that each and every one of us must face today is what is your mission statement? What is the statement you're going to base your life on? What is the statement that you want to make sure that you are passionate about? See, in your notes today, there's just a little place for you to do that. I'm going to pause, take a sip of water. (coughs) And give you a chance to write down your mission statement. This is an intentional pause. The cough just happened to happen with it. It's actually written in my notes. Maybe you're like, okay, pastor, I don't take notes. I'm not going to write down a mission statement. No big deal. People in the Bible had mission statements. This was Paul's mission statement. In Acts 20, 24, he said, But I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of God. That's Paul's mission statement. He said, You know what? (coughs) Nothing in my life matters other than making people know about God's grace. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're, you're one of those people who's faced a lot 
of just messed up things in your life, and you're like, God, still save me, then that's the message that you need to have as your mission statement. That God even saves me. What about Jesus? Did he have a mission statement? Well, of course he did. Luke chapter 4, 18 through 19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind so that liberty of those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord. Or a shorter version of that would be, I came to seek and to save the lost. And my thing here is that if Jesus has a mission statement, then why would you not have one? Why would you not have something to aim your life at? If your mission statement doesn't sound a little bit like the Great Commission, then you might need to reevaluate. Because the Great Commission tells us that we're to make disciples, that we're to be about teaching the gospel. See, we often take the Great Commission and miss the point. We think that it just, when it says go therefore, <clears throat> it means to go to Mexico or go to Europe or go to Asia and tell people there about Jesus. Do you know more missionaries came to the United States last year than were sent out from the United States? Because whether you believe it or not, we're a lost nation. <laughs> We need Jesus right here. See, there, it's not go, therefore, it's as you go. <clears throat> How many of you went to the grocery store this week? How many of you went to get gas this week? How many of you went to work this week? Some of you ain't done nothing. Thank you. <clears throat> Guess what? In those places, <coughs> make disciples. Make disciples. See, Jesus has already provided us with the basic mission statement. But you and I have to understand how that fits in our daily lives. These guys were on a mission. They were passionate about seeing their friend healed. Who are you passionate about seeing healed? And what would you do to fulfill that idea? What are you willing to do? Second thing we need to see today is this. These men had an expectation. These men had an expectation. Why did they go to Jesus? This is the response time. Question and answer portion of the day's test. Why did they go to Jesus? So he could heal. They had this expectation. They believed that if they took their friend to Jesus, he would heal them. They believed that. They took this step because of their passion, their mission. Their mission was to see their friend healed, and they believed that Jesus could do it. Why did they believe that? Well, here's a few ideas. 
Maybe it's because of previous experience. Maybe they had been around when he had turned somebody from blind to giving them sight. Maybe they had been around when, when Jesus had performed some other miracle. Maybe they were around when Jesus turned the water into wine. Maybe they had just heard about the things that Jesus had done. See, why did Moses go to Pharaoh? Because he believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Why did David go face Goliath? Because he believed that God would protect like he always had. See, this is something we have to understand. The expectations mean a lot. The reality is that you and I live on the other side of the cross. We've seen the empty tomb. We understand who God is and what he can do in your life. I even question, maybe these guys, one of them had been healed by Jesus. Maybe one of them had been healed by Jesus, and they're like, whoa, my buddy's been like this for 20 years. Let's get him well. My question for you is, do you have expectations of what God can do? Or do you just sit back and go, well, you know, I know God did this for me, but do you have expectations when you come to worship on Sunday mornings? I don't expect crickets. The reality is this, is that we must set expectations. See, I believe that God can save my family, that he can save my friends. I believe he can save your co-workers. I believe he can save even your enemies. Here's the question, though. What are you going to do to be a part of that? Maybe you don't get to tear the roof off. Maybe you're just the rug maker. This guy's sitting on a rug somehow, isn't he? Maybe that's your part. When I read this story, the friends are the ones who carried the bed, but see, the original text says it's more just like a, like a big rug. And while the friends did the hard work of carrying him, somebody had to put the rug there for him to be on. Maybe that's the part where we look at Paul, and Paul says, you know what? I planted Apollos water, and God gave the growth. See, sometimes that's where we miss out. We go, well, you know, God can save them, but he'll use somebody else. Maybe you're the somebody else. I know you've all had to have heard this story before about a man who was sitting on his roof. It was a flood had come, and he'd gone up to his roof. And he's sitting there, and he said, God, rescue me. God, rescue me. And God sends by somebody on a boat. God comes by on a boat and says, hey. Hey, get in, get in. He goes, no, 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 God's going to save me. Then another boat comes by. Same thing. No, no, God's going to take care of it. Helicopter comes by. Lowers the rope. Come on, come on. No, God's going to get me. Eventually he dies, he drowns, gets to heaven. Says, God, I thought you were going to save me. He said, man, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What do you need? Maybe you're the boat. Maybe that's how God is going to do this, but the reality is we've got to expect God to do these things. If you don't believe God can save your friend, then how do you think he saved you? 
What makes you any better? See, I asked this question earlier, and I kind of got cricket, so I'm going to ask again. I want you to internalize. What do you expect when you come to church? Do you expect to come and sing a few songs, or maybe some of you are the ones who like to listen to the songs? Listen to a little bit of motivational message, something that kind of makes you laugh a little bit. Hug a few necks post-COVID. Get you a free cup of coffee. Is that what you expect when you come to church? Because I can tell you, if that's what you expect when you come to church, that's what you're going to get. You know what I expect when I come into the house of the Lord? I expect to meet with God. And if you're not expecting that, that's why you're not getting it. It doesn't matter who the messenger is. It doesn't matter what the, what the music is. What matters is your expectations of the things God can do. I want to ask you, church, do you believe God can? Bottom section, you're doing great. Top section, do you believe God can? Those at home, do you believe God can? The reality is we have to have expectation. If you're coming to worship, sharing the gospel, loving people, serving the kingdom, expecting God to show up and show out, then God is going to do more than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. See, the harvest has to have workers. We've got to expect God to do great things. So that's what we have here Friends that said, you know what? We expect Jesus to heal our friend. Do you have an eager expectation of someone coming to faith in Christ? Does your expectation bring you to action? <clears throat> Third thing, real quickly. These men faced obstacles. These men faced obstacles. Because what I always hate to hear when it comes to I talk to people about sharing their faith. They go, well, preacher, it's kind of hard. I don't talk so good. That's one of my favorite ones, too. That was Moses' excuse, too. If you may remember. God said, oh, go to Pharaoh. Go to Pharaoh and let my people go. God, I don't talk so good. Can I tell you, in this day and age, it's more important to walk the walk than it is to talk the talk. But see, these guys faced obstacles. We always line up with these ideas of what we can't do. We can't do this, preacher. We can't do that because life just won't let us. Can you imagine the excitement these guys had? They heard Jesus was coming to town. Jesus is coming. Oh, can't you just feel it? I can feel it right now that Jesus is coming to teach. And they're so excited. And they're getting their tickets. They went online, bought their tickets. We're going to see Jesus. And they get there. And it's standing room only. They get there and they can't even get close enough. I mean, they hauled their buddy 25 miles on a carpet. And he didn't even pay for gas money. And they're just taking him and they're, they're like, we're going to get you to Jesus, buddy. Then they get there and there's obstacles. The crowd was astro astronomical. I can say, couldn't you just see it? I know right now you're like, man, there's, so, there's not an empty seat in the house. Where are we going to put somebody? 
Uh, that's a sarcasm. <laughs> I speak that fluently. See, that's what we do. Well, I tried. That's what they could have done. They could say, well, we tried, buddy. Maybe next time. See, they, they weren't just put off by, well, it's just too hard to do. But see, the contrary happened. Their mission was get him to Jesus. So they looked around. See anywhere to go? Roof looks good. See, so many of us will just wave the white flag. You know what's the old saying? When, when God closes one door, he opens another. In this situation, God closed the door and he opened a hole in the roof. See, we, we usually see the path of least resistance as the best path, right? Well, this, isn't, this is the way that makes it all so easy. Can I just remind you that Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. He doesn't say you hit the lazy boy. See, in order to accomplish our mission, we're going to face resistance. We have to go around the crowds and sometimes even through them to get people to Jesus. You may remember the woman in Luke chapter 8 that has the blood condition. She's spent all her money. She's gone to all the physicians and she just can't get well. Here she is, and she hears Jesus has come into town. He's surrounded by a crowd like usual. And here's the first problem. She's a woman who's considered unclean. She's not supposed to be around anybody. Number two, she's a woman in that culture reaching to touch a rabbi. But you know what she said? I do not care. I've got to get well. I've got to get well. See, the difference between somebody who's passionate and someone who's apathetic is the willingness to keep trying in the face of obstacles. The question is this, church, are we just going to say because culture has become king that we're just going to lay down? Are we going to say just because it's too hard that we're done? Thomas Edison tried 10 thousand times before he developed the light bulb. Ten thousand times. I know kids playing video games that if they don't get it right the first time, get mad and throw the controller down. See, it's safe to recognize that Edison tried a lot and he failed a lot. But here's what he said, I didn't fail I just found new ways not to accomplish the task. See, these men saw an obstacle before them. Instead of focusing on the obstacle, they focused on the opportunity. Are there going to be obstacles when it comes to you sharing the gospel with your friends, your family, and your coworkers? Yes. There are going to be obstacles but are they worth stopping for? Are they real obstacles or are they just your own fears? Now, I'm not saying that being apathetic about sharing your faith 
is not a real problem. But I'm going to say if Jesus found it important to save you, then he finds it important to save other people as well. It's a call to move past apathy and to embrace Paul's mentality and passion. Now, I want to go ahead and get this out of the way. I do not mean beating somebody to death with the Bible. Can I tell you, that has never won anybody to Jesus. Taking Scripture and stabbing someone continuously, because it's a sword, telling them over and over and over, this is how you got to do it. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's never going to lead anybody to Jesus. Giving them those platitudes is never going to lead them to Jesus, but how we get people to Jesus is by loving them. Here's the reality, and I don't think we're doing too much to get folks to Jesus. I think we're doing not enough to get folks to Jesus. Prayer is the best place to start. Living an example of faith is the next step. And then speak the gospel into their lives. Remember this, that you're not responsible for the harvest. I used to hear that all the time in student ministry. Well, what if, Wade, what if I, I tell them about Jesus and they say no? What about it? You're literally just told to tell them. You're not told to save them. Only Jesus saves. Be faithful to sow seeds. That's what you're called to do. The last one I want us to see before we <clears throat> have a time of commitment here in a moment is these men got asked more than they asked for. <laughs> they got more than they asked for. Jesus did more than they expected. What did they expect Jesus to do? They expected Jesus to let the guy walk again. What did Jesus do? He let him walk again. But what did he do that was more important? He gave him eternal life. He didn't just say, yeah, buddy, you can walk now. He said, your sins are forgiven. They came so their friend would walk. Oh, they got that and so much more. See, we always focus on the external. We always look at the outside. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, which one would be easier to tell him that he's forgiven or that he can walk? See, we, we sometimes don't even believe that Jesus can do the, the external things. Sometimes we don't even recognize that Jesus can change everything. See, what Jesus did here was why he really came to heal not just the body, but the soul. See, we often want loved ones to get their lives right when the only one who can make them right is Jesus. When Jesus comes into their lives, He doesn't just address the circumstances. He addresses the source. See, we want, oh, I wish my, my children would, would stop doing this. I wish they'd stop being drug addicts. I wish my husband would stop being an alcoholic. Listen, what they need is not to stop doing drugs and to stop drinking. What they need is Jesus. Oh, I wish that my, that my, my spouse's addiction to, to WW shouldn't be looking at this kind of stuff.com would just go away. What they need is a heart change and Christ to come into their lives. 
See, there's the problem. We want the external fix, and Jesus looks at the heart. The source of our struggles is sin. See, Jesus sees through the brokenness. He sees through the brokenness, and he sees the heart. See, the world will say that faith can't fix you. Jesus says not only he'll fix you, but he'll fix you completely. There won't be a single part of you left broken. Isn't that what we really want for the ones we love? Not just that they would end their addiction, but that they would come to new life in Christ. Don't we want more than just the cancer to be healed, but for souls to be in eternity? See, Jesus was always doing more than the disciples expected. Think about the story of the disciples going fishing. I always found this to be an amazing story. Most of these disciples were what? Fishermen. And here they are, fishing. And Jesus says, hey, throw the net on the other side. And I can just see them. Because you remember, if you remember this text, Jesus was a long way off. And I'm like, who is this goof? We do this for a living. Oh, it's okay, just throw it over. And what happened when they threw it over? It said that they couldn't even pull it out of the water. It was so full of fish. Because Jesus will always do more than you're expecting. He'll always do more than what you think you need. See, here's the thing. God gives you more than you can bargain for. Listen, when we believe and trust that God can do anything, He'll do everything. But you and I have to be willing to play our part. We have to be faithful. We have to be passionate. We have to be seed sowers. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means ripping the roof off. Now, just an asterisk, not talking about taking the roof off the church. Don't want anybody to say later on, preacher, talking about taking the roof off the building. No. I like the roof. looks pretty. But I'm willing to say this. I want to do whatever it takes within the gospel to get people to Jesus. I refuse to change the message of the gospel. <clears throat> It's Jesus and Jesus alone, by grace through faith. But I'll tell you this, I'm willing to do whatever it takes outside my own self-consenting and falling short to get somebody to Jesus. The question is, what are you willing to do? You can't take people to Jesus, though, if you've never met him. Maybe today that's the first step you need to take. I want to tell you, there's something exciting that happens when God uses you to either sow a seed or to water that seed or to reap that harvest. I told you earlier that it starts, though, with first step. That's prayer. That's prayer. And I want to invite you today to take a step 
of commitment. I want to ask you just for a moment just to close your eyes. Bow your heads just for a moment. I, I know some of you have already bowed your heads in a different way. But I want to ask you to bow your heads and just close your eyes for a moment. I want you to think <clears throat> about at least one person that you know is lost and needs Jesus. You've prayed for their addiction to go away. You've prayed for their sin to, to be healed. But you've never really just Asked God to save their souls. You've never asked God how you can be a part of leading them to Jesus. Once you've got a name in your head, just hold on to it for a minute. As Wyatt and the praise team come to close us here in just a second, our commitment time today is going to be there are cards up here on the altar. <clears throat> There's cards five different places on the altar. There's cards in two different locations up in the balcony on the front banister. I want you during this time to come to the front if you're willing to make that commitment that you're going to pray for someone to come to Christ, that you're going to pray that God would use you as an instrument in that salvation, I want to invite you to come down front while the band's playing and to grab a card and to write their name on it. And I don't, I don't want you to leave it there. A lot of times we come to the altar and leave something there. I want you to come to the altar. I want you to take that card of commitment Write their name on it. I want you to take it and I want you to put it in your, uh, in your bedroom next to your uh, mirror or maybe just take a picture of it and put it on your phone so you can constantly remember this person in prayer. Maybe it's to stick it in the uh, visor of your car so you can constantly remember every time you look at it that God, would you please rescue this person from sin? And would you deliver them to Jesus? Look, we can talk all day about how we want folks to come know the Lord, but until we're willing to be a part of that, we might as well quit talking. Father God, would you make us passionate people about the gospel? Would you make us willing, God, to do whatever it takes? to do all that we can. God, would you even put us to the place where we would be like Paul. He says, I would even be willing, God, to give up myself for them to come to know Christ. God, would you put in our hearts such a deep passion to want people to know Jesus, not to fill pews, not to do anything other than grow your kingdom. For your glory, for your honor, God, not for the name of Grandview, but for the name of Jesus Christ, our King. God, would you make us a people of commitment that we would desire souls to be won. God, would we be a church that invests the love of Jesus 
and other people. It's in the name of the Lord I pray. Amen. Church, this is a chance for you to commit, make a commitment today, not just to the church, but to the Lord himself.